You ever say to yourself, I wish that would happen to me? You ever thought that? Maybe in a lot of different contexts you can think that sort of thing. You hear somebody wins the lottery and you think, I wish that would happen to me. Or you see friends get married and you say, I wish that would happen to me. Or you see other good things happening in people's life and you say, I wish that would happen to me. Well, there's a big one as well that uh, sometimes we look at and say, gosh, I wish something like that would happen to me. And it's when you read a, a story or watch a movie and it's an adventure story, right? I wish my life could be more like an adventure. I wish that would happen to me. Now, growing up, I want to make a confession to all of you. Growing up, uh, I was a big fan of Star Trek. I grew up with it. Every Saturday, my brother, dad, and I would watch episodes of Captain Kirk, and then a new Star Trek was released, The Next Generation, to feed our addiction. And we spent seven years watching that on Saturday nights, recording it on our fancy VCR when Saturday nights were spent out somewhere else. Now, I learned to use a VCR just so I could watch Star Trek. Now, and by the way, if you're one of the two people here that's younger than me, uh, VCRs could be used like a DVR as long as you had a degree in computer science to program them. <laughs> anyway, I've spent some time considering why I loved Star Trek so much. And I've decided that it was because of the endless adventure the idea of Star Trek offered. Incredible technology at your fingertips. And I'll be honest, you know, as a little boy, it was the phaser. Like, I can vaporize things by shooting them with a the phaser. That sounds awesome. The ability to quickly travel vast distances to, as the introduction would say, strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. I don't have that whole thing memorized or anything. There were clear lines between good and evil such that you could feel confident that you were doing right and that you were doing things that mattered. That's different than the world that we live in a lot, isn't it? The adventure. That's what was so exciting about Star Trek. The amazing journeys you'd undertake, the incredible odds you would face down, and the spectacular achievements you'd accumulate. I think it's been often observed before that with all of the crises that the crew of the Starship Enterprise went through, they'd all be locked up in a mental hospital long before their five-year mission could have possibly ended. But it's fun to think about that way. And you know what, I, I think that Psalm 114 is describing something similar to us. Psalm 114 recalls the amazing adventure that the people of Israel had been on. And most importantly, the guide that had taken them on their way. Because every adventure has a guide, doesn't it? It has a, a Captain Kirk to take the Enterprise through, a Gandalf the Grey to take everyone to Mordor to destroy the One Ring. I know all of my examples are super nerdy, and I'm sorry. An Ethan Hunt to take the Mission Impossible team wherever they needed to go and solve whatever problem was in their way. Listen again to Psalm 114, at least the beginning of it. When Israel came out of Egypt... Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue. Right away, we learn that there are stories behind this psalm, don't we? I'm immediately reminded of what old soldiers do when they get together. 
They do their best to one-up each other with their craziest experiences. They sit around a beer or two because they conscientiously obey Ephesians 5.18 that says, do not get drunk on wine or beer which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Anyway, they sit around a beer or two and tell the stories of their adventures, admiring each other and competing with each other for who's got the best one. But this story in Psalm 114, it's a shared experience. It's not a story of a solo adventure or achievement, but a reminder of a shared identity. Israel's ancestors had been slaves, an ignoble past. But God brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought, when people sang the psalm, they remembered, my great-great-great-grandparents, my ancestors, my family were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out. You remember the story, right? Charlton Heston told Yul Brenner to let his people go after a weird-looking bush told him so, as the movie goes. Or, as we might actually read in our Bibles, Moses is in the wilderness because he's on the run. You remember the story? He was, Moses was born an Israelite, but Pharaoh said all of the Israelite babies must die because the Israelites are becoming too numerous for us and they'll take over. So, Genocide is the answer, clearly. But Moses' mother had her baby, put him in a basket, and floated him down the Nile, where one of the princesses of Egypt found him and adopted him as her own son. But Moses grew up knowing that he was a Hebrew. And one day he couldn't stand to see his people continue to be in slavery. And so when he sees uh, an Egyptian overseer beating up some of his Hebrew brothers, he kills the Egyptian overseer. But the response isn't what he expected. See, he thought everyone would say, great, a savior has come. But instead they say, oh, you want to be our king instead? And Moses thought, great, I have no friends anywhere. Someone will find out I have committed an act of revolution, essentially, and I'll be dead. So he runs away into the wilderness. I mean, talk about ignoble, right? Moses was a defeated hero. He wasn't anyone who could set God's people free. But God found him in the wilderness. God sought him out, and he commissioned him. He said, you go to Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go. And Moses had a thousand and one reasons why that was a terrible idea, but God wasn't going to let his mind be changed. God said, you're going. And Moses did. And he appeared in front of Pharaoh. And then there was this great contest. Remember the contest? The ten plagues, right? There were, there were uh, locusts, and there were boils, and there were flies and frogs, and the Nile turned to blood. And eventually, all of the firstborn in Egypt, except for the Israelite firstborn, died. And finally, Pharaoh said, you can go. And then we heard the story from Kayla. When that happened, Moses, uh, Pharaoh chased them out into the wilderness with his whole army, which is much bigger and stronger than Israel. And Israel knows that its number is up. They're in an adventure story, aren't they? They know they can't win. They know everything is lost. And so they panic, right? Every, we're going to die. And Moses says, no, you won't. God will deliver. Don't you remember all the stuff he's just done? The ten plagues? Is your memory so short? God will take care of it. And God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through. Did you notice in Psalm 114 that it talks about the parting of the Red Sea? 
When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion, the sea looked and fled. The sea looked and fled. But that's not the only thing the psalm talks about. It talks about all these other adventures the people of Israel had been on. It said the Jordan turned back. Do you remember Moses led the people across the Red Sea? They went to Mount Sinai and got the law. Then they wandered around in the wilderness 40 years because they were not willing to get on board with God's plan. And then at the end of 40 years, Joshua becomes the leader of Israel, and he takes them into the Promised Land. And how did he do it? They went to the Jordan River at flood stage, and they walked the ark into the middle of the river, and it says the waters of the Jordan heaped up, and the people of Israel crossed on dry land. God kept bringing the adventure everywhere they went. Why mountains did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? The next verse in our psalm. And this recalls the experience at Mount Sinai under Moses. They came to Mount Sinai, and God was making the covenant with them, and Moses goes up the mountain. Do you remember? And he, he gets the Ten Commandments from God. He brings them back down. And, and Moses, at one point, brings all of the people of Israel, and they're surrounding the mountain down at its base. And do you remember what happens? There's lightning everywhere, and the earth is shaking. And God tells Moses, don't let the people come too near, because this is a holy place, and they're not a holy people yet. And if they get too close, they'll die. And the people said, don't worry about it. We're not coming anywhere near that stinking mountain. And they were on an adventure. God was doing all of these incredible things for them. And that's the whole story of the Bible. It's one big adventure. I know we get into like First Chronicles and we read the genealogies and we think that doesn't sound much like an adventure. But that's what the story of the Bible is. It's the adventure of God pursuing his lost people to bring them home. It's a story of how the people are sometimes, please, God, bring us home. Rescue us out of slavery in Egypt. And at other times saying, no, God, we're pretty good. Stop bothering us. And then bad things happening and the people of Israel saying, okay, God, now we're ready for you to come back. It's this long adventure story. And the bottom line out of all of these adventures See, the reason that every year at the Passover, this psalm was sung, the reason that this is one of the last songs that Jesus sang at his last meal with his disciples before his death, is because it reminds us that we all belong to the people brought out of slavery. We all belong to the people miraculously led into the promised land through the Jordan River. We all belong to the people God has made a covenant with, a covenant that shook the mountains. Our story is an adventure story. See, it's, we're meant to remember that the adventures of God's people have abiding results. That is, the adventures of Moses and Joshua and David and Elijah and Jeremiah, and most importantly and truly, the adventures of Jesus are also your event adventures. They belong to you. They weren't just for the people who experienced them. They were for you as well.
God rescued Israel from slavery, not just as a random act of kindness, like, oh, there's some suffering people, maybe I'll do something about that, but because he also desired to rescue you over 3,000 years later out of slavery. He's done just that in Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are in slavery. He goes on, he says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The story of Israel coming out of slavery is our story. It's our adventure. God promised David that his house would rule over Israel forever, not just for David's adventure, but so that Jesus, the son of David, could be your king forever. God told Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, to promise the people of Israel a new covenant, not just so that Jeremiah could hope that one day people would actually listen and turn to God, but so that you today could see that Jesus fulfills all of God's promises for us. Hebrews 9.15 says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, the one that Jeremiah promised, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that Jesus has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. See, the first thing we are meant to remember is that the adventures of God's people have abiding results for us. They are our adventures in a real way. Now, secondly, we can take this understanding of the adventure that God offers to us and see our lives in new ways. Not only are we people with a heritage of adventure, we're a people whose adventures, our own personal adventures, God will use. Not just for us, but for those who come next. God is continuing to tell his story, continuing to work out his plan through you and I today. That's what Jesus meant in John 14, 12. Did anyone think that Jesus did some pretty amazing things in his life? Anybody? This is where you raise your hands. I don't care if you're Presbyterians or not. Jesus did amazing things. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He rose from the dead himself. Does anyone think they can do the sorts of things that Jesus can do? Of course not, right? What did Jesus say in John 14, 12? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. God has not commissioned you to live a quiet life out somewhere, waiting for your time to run out, just privately enjoying your stuff. He has commissioned you to be like Jesus Christ and to go out in the world and do the same sorts of things that he has done. Now listen, I don't think that means you need to go out and heal the blind, and if you don't, you're out. I think a lot of us would be excluded that way. But I think it means that we are called to live lives of a faith that is just as deep as the faith of Jesus Christ. Saying yes in all the places where Jesus said. And then trusting God to make the amazing come true. Because the fact of the matter is we can't be Jesus on our own, can we? God's got to show up. And Jesus promises he will. 
We are a people not just with a heritage of adventure. We are a people who are called to adventure, just like Jesus Christ. We need to dig deeper into this, but for now I'm only going to observe that this means our experiences today, good and bad, easy or difficult, have value. And they have value forever. And not just for us, but for the people who will come after us. Your every moment is precious, God-given, and ordained by God for something greater than any of us can see right now. He is building a kingdom, and he is using you and I to do it. And it will last forever, and no kingdom of the world ever has or ever should last forever. Because every one of them let us down, don't they? Praise God for the kingdoms that we have that give us the gifts that we receive. But we recognize that they are all flawed until Jesus comes and sits on the throne. But now we need to step back for a moment and see why God does all of this. Because the psalm prompts us to do this. The psalm doesn't say, remember all these great adventures because they tell you that God loves you. That'd be a nice message. Or because they tell you that God wants good things for you. That might even be nicer. You don't have to love me as long as you give me stuff. That'd be great. I'd be fine with that. As a matter of fact, the psalm doesn't point us to ourselves at all. It points us to God. Those opening verses again. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue, when Israel got rescued, why? Well, Judah became God's sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The Exodus was in part because God loved Israel, but was even more so because in Israel, God made a place for himself on earth. Yes, God loved Israel, but God had a bigger plan to love the whole world through Israel. See, the wonderful thing about God is he doesn't love you just for you. He loves you for your children and your brothers and sisters, and your parents, and your grandparents, and your grandchildren, and your neighbors, and your community members, and the fellow citizens of your country, and the people on the other side of the world. He doesn't love you just for you. He loves you for all the people surrounding you. But pick up, pick up the reverse side of that coin. God loves the people around you, not just for them, but for you. And if we would all just start loving each other, we'd all be loved. We wouldn't have to scrape and scrabble and say, somebody's got to give me the things that I need. They'd all be taken care of. But it isn't just for this. It's not even just for this that God loves us. It's about more than you and I. It's about more than me. God created me not just so that I could be me, so I could happily while away my days in contentment, but for himself and for all those around me. I am not my own. I was bought with a price, so I will honor God with my body. That's right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And to the psalm again, why was it sea that you fled? Why did the Red Sea part? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. God did all these things so the world would know who he is. To point back to himself. And I know if God were a human being, we would say, well, that's very selfish and egotistical of you, God. But if you're God, it's a different story. 
Because it's not about God's ego. It's about the fact that, hey, you want the best thing in the entire world? It's me. It's me. Don't go trying to fill your needs somewhere else. Come to me. If God was saying, you know, it's not about me, guys. Like, you, you just go do your thing. You have a great time. It's like, it's like a farmer in the midst of a famine who's got a barn full of food and says, you know what? Don't worry about me, guys. You go, go live your life. Go find your stuff. But God's our food. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is our very food. God takes me. He takes you. He takes us all on adventures so that all the world will know who he is. Because he made us on purpose, in his image, for a purpose, so that the world would know him. All of our adventures are meant to point to who God is, to what he's done. And we don't accomplish that on our own, do we? Moses could never have rescued Israel from Pharaoh without God's mighty acts of power. Joshua could never have crossed the Jordan and defeated Jericho without God's intervention. David could never have built an eternal dynasty on his own. Jeremiah could never have guaranteed the return of God's people to the land that they had lost. Only God could do those things. But he involved each one of those people, didn't he? So that's who we are. We are the people that God involves in his work. Now the truth is that at some point in every adventure, the people involved want to give up don't they? You ever read those stories? It's kind of this meta experience where, you know, the people are on an adventure and and they say, wow, in the stories, everything always sounds so great, but now that we're on an, an adventure, it stinks. We're hungry, we're tired, we're uncomfortable, we're constantly in danger. I thought adventuring would be more fun than this. We all have a moment like Frodo in the Lord, in the Fellowship of the Ring, where we say, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf, uh, the wise old wizard, 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 I don't know what that is, wizard, responded to him, so do all who live to see such times. Have you thought that in these days? I wish we could just go back, you know, to, to the old days when things were easier, to this supposed golden age. You know, not, not to burst your bubble, but you know, frankly, uh, the old golden ages weren't golden for everybody, were they? Do we want to go back to the 50s and the 60s? Did you ask any African-American folks if they want to go back to the 50s and the 60s? Our golden ages often weren't so golden. But I love this perspective. So do all who live to see such times. They wish they'd never come. But that is not for them to decide. That takes a little bit of a load off, doesn't it? Not for us to decide what age we live in. That's God's business. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. God involved you. He involved you with that person at work that's hurting, that's struggling. 
He involved you with your neighbor in church who lost their job. He involved you with all the things that are happening in our country. We can't solve them all. We can't even begin to address or think about them all. But it's not an accident that we're here. Stated another way, we have Francis of Assisi's great hymn, This is my Father's world. Remember, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. And back to the psalm. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool the hard rock into springs of water. And here we have one last adventure story. The people of Israel, thirsty in the desert, complaining and begging for water. And God directed Moses to a rock and told him to strike it, and water flowed out. Let all of our adventures lead us back to praise. Praise because God gives meaning to every moment of our lives, the good and the bad. Praise because God directs us to tasks too big for us to accomplish, like Moses and Pharaoh, whether we set a nation free or if we are merely striving to be faithful day after day. Praise because in the end, God is worthy of it. Every achievement is God's achievement. Every glory comes from him. One last thought before I close. As I mentioned, this is one of the last songs Jesus sang before his greatest adventure, before he was arrested, tried, and killed, and above all, before he rose again from the dead. Jesus went to all of those things in his life, singing Psalm 114. God, this is the adventure you have placed before me. Help me to be faithful to the end. That's how Jesus saw his life. Maybe this would be a helpful song to us in the same way. Amen.